remember it now. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You just looked at this recently. Can you play it back? It was the idea that if you go back to these transitions over time with new technologies, new capabilities, new platforms. That's right. right. We're talking about um, Avi Goldfarb, who has a great book, by the way, called Prediction Machines. And he talks about at the beginning of any horizontal disruption, you first get point solution changes where you drop in a process to an existing workflow and you later you get systematic change where you can change your workflow entirely. Hey, welcome to Hallway Chat. Welcome, welcome back. We should start with App of the Week. Are we calling them App of the Week? <laughs> We're not <laughs> We should start with a product in AI that we've been using a lot lately. Thank you. Uh, a product that we've explored that is built with AI and that was Shortwave. Right. We both spend time with that. Shortwave is an AI email client, like Gmail with AI integrated that's been around for I don't know, probably like three or four years now. But they had an AI week and they announced a new AI feature every couple of days. By the way, have you noticed that's like a thing now? Somewhere over the last year to 18 months, companies want, yeah. instead of having the big launch day with oh, yeah. video, like Arc did last week, I'm getting a lot of let's do a dribble every single day for a whole week. What do you think that is? I don't know. Is it rally the team? Is it you have a whole bunch of uh, hackathon-like projects that you can just bring out one after another? I don't know. Yeah, it's happened about descriptive on it as well. My, my cynical side is it's the CEO ego of being annoyed that they spent all of this time working on a product and they release it onto Twitter and it like gets an hour of attention <laughs> and then it's gone. <laughs> And so you're like, no, I want, I want a little more attention than that. How do I dribble it out? Maybe. I, I mean, it could be morale within the team. Everybody gets their moment to shine? Everybody gets their moment to shine. They're also, like, none of the features are substantial. Yeah. Even a packaging them up is kind of a collective, okay. Yeah. But the, yeah, you, if it's a list of features of five things, it feels less substantial. It's not version 2.0. Yeah. Maybe the nature of AI itself is, is kind of leads itself to this, which is like, I think, Amjad has talked about this at Replit. They started with a, a kind of like copilot feature, but they slowly felt like what they don't want it to feel like is you come to Replit, you write in Replit, and then you use the AI tool. Uh -huh. Instead, you want it to feel like it's breathing AI. It's in 20 places, not one place. That's right. And that leads itself to smaller features with interesting workflows that use AI, and so that leads itself to launching with those kinds of features. I, I, I think so. Not to get ahead of how I've been thinking about shortwave in this case, but I, it also feels like we are living through a period where things are evolutionary and not revolutionary. If I go back to a framework that you introduced uh, last year as to how we might think about AI coming into these products, yep. and maybe you want to take the opportunity to lay that out and then we can talk about shortwave. I don't remember it now. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You just looked at this recently. Can you play it back? It was the idea that if you go back to these transitions over time with new technologies, new capabilities, new platforms. I was using mobile a lot as the example. That's right. right. We were talking about the difference between vertical category disruption and horizontal category disruption, right? We were talking about um, Avi Goldfarb, who has a great book, by the way, called Prediction Machines. And he talks about at the beginning of any horizontal disruption, you first get point solution changes where you drop in a process to an existing workflow and you later you get systematic change where you can change the workflow entirely. Right. Um, his example was when the steam engine was invented, they just dropped a steam engine in the middle of a factory floor and then extended belts 
to all the points of the factory. And it would actually take 20 years for them to change how factories were built to account for the steam engine. Right. So, so yeah, most disruption is in one category. It's vertical. There's a new startup that upends fintech or games or social networking. And most startup playbooks and most venture firms are built for these moments. But horizontal disruption throw out a lot of these rules. So the phrasing we use at Spark, um, and we were kind of as a firm built out of the mobile revolution, which was arguably the last horizontal shift, we, we use the phrase adaptation, evolution, and revolution. So in the mobile context, adaptation is the New York Times.com making the New York Times mobile app. It's the same users, same behaviors, and just slightly better workflows. It's now like a thing that's right in your hand. Adaptation usually favors incumbents, as you'd imagine. Uh, evolution is Instagram and mobile games. It's similar users and similar behaviors, but they're building entirely new workflows. Evolution usually favors startups, but sometimes fast-moving incumbents can get there. And the last category, revolution, is often talked about in the mobile context is a company like Uber. Um, it's reaching out to a whole new market of users while uh, inducing an entirely new set of behaviors and doing it with entirely new workflows. Uh, the difference between evolution and revolution is generally that the first feels kind of like an application and the second feels kind of like a platform. Anyway, where were we going with, with that uh, in, the, in the case of shortwave? It feels to me like we are living through the adaptation, if you will. Yeah. Not that it's not valuable, but it is obvious but useful. Like, let's make that tangible. They have autocomplete, and we'll come back and talk about that in some length. Yep. There's this really delightful experience that, that it just has a summarization at the top of your email threads where it will say uh, probably a well-tuned prompt because it's very tight and very concise and quite accurate. And you look and you have eight, eight replies back and forth, and it just nails it. Yeah. Super good. It has um, a chat assistant embedded that you can slide out if ChatGPT came into your inbox. Yeah. Obvious stuff, adaptation, still useful. Mm -hmm. the, the question that I had when I was using it is, won't Gmail just introduce this in, in two months? And won't, won't I have uh, my preferred email client just deliver that? And do I need to switch to this? Is that enough to, to switch to, to shortwave? Yeah, I think the features they announced were instant summaries, uh, the AI assistant for mobile, AI autocomplete, uh, and maybe a couple of other things. Oh, multi-select action item stuff. I used that yesterday and it was great. Where you can select five or six or seven emails I see. and then do a query against those emails. Hey, can you summarize the topics of these things? Yep. Which combined with search is quite good. Yep, awesome. You yep. know, I don't mean my observation in a derogatory way, right? Like no, I no. actually found it to be a delightful experience the first time I went in and I saw that summarization. I'm like, oh, actually, that's useful. Yep. Uh, I triggered the assistant because there was a long email that came in and uh, I clicked into the assistant and I had a question. And I was just all of a sudden interrogating my inbox, right? I was saying, what else has this person sent me on this company and can you help me summarize it and where the diffs are? Yep. And it came back and it was great. I actually think that the natural place for an assistant to enter our lives, especially uh, in work, is probably through the email inbox. So the email client is- Just because it has so much context? It has so much context. We live in our inbox already. Yeah. Uh, it is our to-do list. It's where we process the information that we have to consume and then take action on. Like all of that stuff lends itself 
well to having a differentiated product experience in the in that last bucket the revolution one i think somebody's going to deliver an amazing assistant within your inbox yeah and you know it could be shortwave there was a moment of delight that you and i had do you want to talk about that i was trying out the uh, shortwave autocomplete feature which of course is mimics a feature that does exist already in Gmail, which is Gmail has had an autocomplete feature prior to LLMs, you know, in a, in a very different format. Now it's not tuned against you. Uh, Gmail isn't, mm -hmm. it's just a, what's the natural language, you know, mm -hmm. thing in English that's supposed to come here. Whereas of course that the, the promise for shortwave is that it's supposed to be tuned against the email that you're writing. So yeah, we were sitting here and I, and I, and I opened up a founder's email. You were kind of demoing this and I'm just hitting tab to autocomplete. And it's, you know, it actually used words that I would use. Hey, great to hear from you. And then, of course, it said CCing Lauren, which is the person I would CC sometimes. And I was like, oh, that's so good. It suggested a time, Tuesday, 10 a.m. How about if we meet? The whole structure felt closer to the email I would write. And it felt magical. It made me want to go do that again. Now, it turned out that like it doesn't look like it was actually looking at my calendar Tuesday at 10 a.m. Right. was completely packed. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, but if they just launched that on, on AI release week, give them a couple of months. They're going to fix that, right? And right. that's going to be amazing. When it pulls in from your calendar, these things are going to figure out all of this stuff. Yeah, they certainly are. I think, well, the thing that after we used it a couple more times, it became obvious is that it's not really Gmail autocomplete the way yeah. that autocomplete is autocomplete. It's, it's closer to actually a UI change to something that already exists, which is a very interesting thing for founders to think about. Like, it's basically looks like under the hood, I don't know how they're structuring it, we haven't talked to the founder about it, but like, it feels to me like, it's basically if you ask ChatGPT to write a reply to this email, and you gave them some other emails that I had, so you have a pattern of speech of the way that I speak, then this is the email ChatGPT would write. But if you've ever gone through that process using another product, like Superhuman has this AI product built in, there's others that do as well, the chunk that it gives you, hey, let me just write the entire email, it just turns out feels much less intuitive and I feel like I'm editing somebody else's voice and it mm -hmm. doesn't feel like the way I wanna write. Whereas taking the exact, literally probably very similar things under the hood, and a very subtle UX change, which is instead of giving me the whole email in one chunk, and I'm looking at some email that a robot wrote, and I'm trying to edit it, instead I'm inline writing and tab auto-completing. Yep. It's a subtle difference, but it keeps you in flow. I would use it all the time. Yep, yep. You had a visceral reaction. Well, because when it gets it right, when the tab gets it right, it feels magical. Yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of looking at three paragraphs and realizing the four things that are wrong. I was like doing a reply back to a friend of mine and it was like, hey, looking forward to seeing you at GDC as the like right. rest of the sentence. And I was like, how did it know I wanted to see that guy at GDC? It was just a great little moment. You know, here's, here's a case where uh, polish, uh, like what is it that you're polishing when you deliver these products, especially with AI? And I my biggest issue with it uh, was not the hallucinations of like, Here's a time that doesn't work on my calendar, right? That they'll iron that out. The thing that will prevent me from using it in the short term is the same issue that many people don't use code complete when it's not quote unquote polished mm. is the latency was too long. Yeah. So I have to would pause, I'd get out of the flow of writing my email. Yeah. In would come the sentence and I'd say, Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or I'd wait for it and I'd say, Ah, oh, that's half right. And I could have just written the sentence within that time frame.
Yeah. Right. Um, but again, like that, that's easily fixed. Well, it's easily fixed, except that this is like always the nature of what's really hard about product <laughs> is you don't know if that's MVP or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible that it's just slow enough that people don't use it. That's right. And then you misconstrue that for a broken feature. hundred percent. When the answer is not that people don't like it, it's that no one wants to wait after every sentence for an extra half second to see if it auto-completes the thing that you want. And if you just built a much smaller model on top of it, which ran at three times the speed oh, and yeah. felt fluid, and if it felt fluid, therefore you stayed in flow, which is important when you're writing, then you would use it 10 times more. And it suddenly you just took a tiny bit of speed turned a thing that was a failure into a success. Yep, yep. And that's, that, that is where I think that increasingly the, we think of these things as full stack in the sense that you would trade off quality of model uh, on some level for improvement in latency. Or reduced cost. Or reduced cost. Yeah. Because if it's right 50% of the time, but you get that, that nudge in flow right when you need it, yeah. Versus right seventy five percent of the time, but you have to wait yeah, you know, six hundred milliseconds for it to appear. Well you mentioned Copilot and, and Replit is a great yeah. example of this, right? He he said publicly he spent like a hundred thousand dollars on their first model. Yeah. And yeah. It, it certainly wasn't as performant as at a three B model size as right. as say <clears throat> Copilot was. But against their own code base and GitHub, it was good enough and what he got instead was like very fast speed yep. and, and lower cost, right? Yep. Yep. If you're trying to like say, well, isn't Gmail eventually going to launch this? It's possible, but if, as we've seen with perplexity, so sometimes large companies executing against what you think is a bullseye is not as easy as you think. And, and that is possibly, as you've said really well, like when Google tries to ship Gmail AI tools, they may ship exactly copies of things shortwave and other companies are doing, and then therefore you're just going to stick to Gmail because it's the default, but they also might ship their org chart and it just might be flubbed. And, and I don't, I think sometimes we try to get too smart for ourselves sure. and instead of kind of just pulling the thread, especially when you have a really high fog of war situation, when you don't know, this is a first sediment layer on what is clearly Let's be yeah. obvious, like in that earlier framework I talked about, this is closer to New York Times than Uber. So I don't think it's enough, but it's, you don't know what the next sediment layer on top of oh, it sure. is, on top of it is. So as long as you keep searching for new workflows and for new ideas, I still think there's a world where it feels like you're in a very competitive environment and the big guy is going to go stomp on your face tomorrow and all the rest of that. And then it turns out that like for a variety of reasons, all the incumbent players do half-assed versions of the product. They don't quite get there for years. And meanwhile, you then build the agent on top of the agent on top of the agent, which is just like the email assistant that you almost never touch. That's what I really want. I just, I want an email assistant in some number of years where I'm not looking at the email. I, I like the list view of a cacophony of headlines screaming at me. Yep. That's not the way I should start my email experience. I don't know what the new experience should be in that world, but it does feel like the capability of an LLM gives us an opportunity to reinvent the workflow from scratch. I agree with that. I think that this is going to be the product surface area where a very compelling revolutionary product enters our lives. Um, That's I, what you're saying, because has because email has so much context of our life. It's it a great vector. It has so much context for... of our life. We it's our communication channel. It's our to do list. Uh, <clears throat> if you think about what this technology is already good at, it's good at 
uh, chipping away at those things. Yeah. Um, Although you can imagine being a founder on the opposite side and you pitch a completely world-changing, different view (laughs) of email. And I can imagine that conversation with you, Fraser. Like, I bring it in and I'm like, hey, guess what? I've invented an email client where you never even see an email headline. And, And getting that level of behavior change is tough, right? Like the, the inverse is tough. And so sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's like a path along the idea maze, right? You, you start incrementally adding on features and then eventually as, you, as users come to you, that opens up another door. You would have never done this before, but now that you're with us on this journey, here's the next step. I, absolutely. Yeah, right? you're like, down for that. Yeah. I think that they have a sidebar that comes in and you have your chat assistant. It's like, imagine if ChatGPT came into your inbox. I think that that is a very viable path to go and realize the opportunity here. Yeah, it's the one that I remember that makes me think of this is actually in the very early versions of Descript when it first launched. You know, Descript's an audio video editor. It's an entirely different workflow, right? It, in Versus what used to be in Audacity and all the way back to Avid, you'd look at a waveform of the sound and you'd edit the waveform. And that's the UI yep. that had existed for 20 some years, 30 some years before Descript came on, on the scene. And, and now is of course becoming more of a default. But when they first came out, you'd have the script view that you see now if you open up the script, but at the bottom of the tray, they would have the waveform right. that you could still see if you wanted to do such a view. Mm-hmm. And then slowly over time, now you look at it and like, you can still, by the way, double click a word and still get to the waveform, but it's slowly been buried deeper and deeper. And I'm, I'm curious if they had started on the inverse, if they had mm-hmm. started with mm-hmm. it completely gone, mm-hmm. if the average This American Life editor would have been like, this right. is so alien, I right. want control, where's my control? Yeah, yeah. So you kind of got to take them on a journey. I agree. <laughs> I think it is a great example of how quickly AI is going to impact all of our lives. Yeah. Uh, and then so you ask the question of will I stick with it? I will stick with it until I don't because yeah. it is compelling enough today, even just that summarization at the top of the thread. Yeah where it gives a little bit of context so you can just dive in is useful. Being able to... It is, isn't it so funny that like you made this you know, massive sea change of technology that's a horizontal shift in, in GPTs that have now been copied elsewhere. It's all over the place. And I got to tell you, like, it's still like summarization has got to be like 75% <laughs> of the use cases. <laughs> well, people like convenience, which yeah. is the polite way of saying people are lazy. I, yeah. uh, the, TLDR yeah, is a product. TLDR. Yeah. <laughs> Let's segue. I want to talk about an area that's, that there is no really fixed workflow yet. We have been talking about really all of these like app builder, no code frameworks. Mm-hmm. And this is everything from Langchain to Respell. You know, you could call it like plus plus is a category, uh, Lindy. There's like, there's a lot of these things that are really trying to say, how do I build a unique workflow in AI? And a starter question, which is what, what do you, when you're going to fire up one of these products, you already talked last week about how you didn't uh, really believe that agents booking plane tickets should be the canonical thing that we all try and strive for as our default. <laughs> and yet they keep launching with, yeah. here we can book It's not a joke. Stuff. I like send you Slack message every three days when somebody else tries to do the book the plane ticket. What is a good example? of a thing like when you if you're going to fire up respell tomorrow what is the test case that you would use to try and integrate into your life like just like realistically what do you yeah listen on on these i've tried a couple of different things where i've tried to do 
help it schedule so I can CC in the assistant and it will stitch together the workflow to help the third party schedule time on a calendar. Yep. It's too brittle. The the non-deterministic nature of it means that it fails once in a while. Yeah. And you just can't tolerate that in that workflow. I, I can't. Right. The other thing is, is summer. Yeah, I think I talked uh, recently about summarizing for the weekly email and synthesizing across the documents uh, and then sending that out. Yep. It just didn't reliably create the output that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it was finicky. Mm-hmm. And so I was updating the pipes behind the scenes to try to like get it to work. And I just realized it's easier for me to can just do it myself. Yeah. But those are some of the things. How about you? Yeah. I kind of want to come up with a standard set of at least base workflows that like I would test every time I use one of these. How does it work in X? I certainly try. We have to write a weekly email. Sometimes it feels like a chore. It'd be great if you, there was a, a, a thing that gathered data to, but but that is hard, right? What that really means is look at my calendar, look at every meeting I had this mm-hmm. last week, then look at the prior notes I have about that founder or that company, then it needs to write it in my tone. It's a maybe a little past where we are technologically right, right now. Right. GPT-5 maybe gets us there or six or whatever, right. but like we're not quite there yet. I hate the flow of book a calendar appointment, uh-huh. um, and I specifically hate it not because it doesn't work, but because the act of it working is not, it kind of goes back to the kind of comment I come back to, which is like, what I really want LLMs to be good at is being creative with us. Whereas actually this feels like a rules-based problem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Looking at my calendar and figuring out that I have 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. And then maybe the one creative language part of it is like drafting the email to the person. <laughs> right. But it just doesn't actually feel like that interesting of a problem set and you can't solve it. That's right. <laughs> so that doesn't feel right. My observation after playing around with a lot of the web agents and realizing that I never wanted to book my trip is that I think the real opportunity in the short term based on where technology is and what users want is around research and synthesis uh, or research and summarization. And I think that's what perplexity is doing. If you think about it, right, is Google shows you the kind of nudges you into corners of the web where it's like, hey, we think the answer is in these five links or these 10 links. Yep. And uh, Perplexity goes and actually does the research and then synthesizes it and gives you the, the, the answer that you want. Yep. And I think that's where the agents are good enough today. So then my question is, what in our life can we automate that is predominantly a research and, and synthesis task? I think the one that comes to mind is be my superhuman mm. memory. Mm-hmm. The reason that comes to mind is because, one, it, it is shipped in prior to LLM versions. There's, yep. the, there's always been, going back to, like, so there used to be startups that would sit as a Gmail plugin. Reportive is a good example right. of this that would that sold to LinkedIn, that would look at the LinkedIn of the person before you have the meeting, so you get a little bit of a bio, right? There's a pre-LLM version of this, and there's lots of very bad LLM versions of this, but it's a good example for me if I'm about to go meet a CEO I've been working with for four years, there's actually a scale of zero to 100 about what that output of that product Mm -hmm, could be, mm -hmm. and it's one where synthesis and summarization is really important, and the, we've talked a lot about context, where the context is derivable. Right. There's everything from the very base case version that's bad is, you know, the, the kind of like fixed rule-based ones. 
Um, what's the title of the person from right. LinkedIn? <laughs> what's the date of the last time I met? Like right. that's the base case. That is not good enough. Right. And you can imagine that the superhuman version of that is drawing context from all the notes I've taken. It's picking up over the last two years. What are the themes that team come up a lot? Right. You can imagine a, an unbelievable version of that. Maybe it's a maybe, I just like yeah, this is just coming up with this today. Maybe that's a good example of it's also one where the more pipes you have in, uh-huh. you're going to have very different outputs. Like if you can get notes, great. More context, I can produce better output. If you can get transcriptions of the last four phone conversations we had or Zooms, great, more context. If you can get who are our friends of friends and then what did we all talk about? Like, that's great, more context. And all of that would lead to something that probably feels more and more magical. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, And the thing that's also nice about it is that it probably meets the technology where it is today in the sense that you probably can get value by go to your email archive, go to your calendar, go to your notes and just rag that into the LLM and give you a summary. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you could imagine... And you know we could do that in many of these products. Yeah. And And it would be exactly what you expect, which is like, kind of B minus work. Yeah. And then there's this feeling of a really well-integrated system with the right sets of context that's looking for insights and setting up patterns. And maybe it knows me as well and what I need. Or maybe it knows my job. Like, me as an investor is a very different set of context needed if I'm a therapist or a professional coach or a doctor, like the, right. like it's a broad horizontal set of things to solve yep. that inside of that, you might get wildly different workflows. Yep. Yep. With, yep. The, with similar outputs. Yeah. And actually what you care about in that summary and synthesis is going to be different than what I care. I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And so that is maybe another trait of when build your own productivity or workflow tool from these horizontal players really makes sense. Right. right, because you and I aren't going to go and, and use this. Ideally, we, we're not going to get value from the same like SaaS software that does this for us. Yep, uh, you're going to say, "I actually care about this, that, and the other thing," and you know, you care about the, <laughs> the <laughs> iPhone app equivalent of, of mail in this use case. This, this, this is actually a great way to bring up the thing I've been thinking about all week, which is that most of the interfaces into these no-code workflow AI products are. You know, basically derivatives of a Yahoo Pipes view mm. of the world. Yahoo Pipes was an early, go, go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo Pipes was a, you know, Katarina Fake built like a, you can import APIs. And then it's a really like engineering view of the world. It's if then statements, you know. In a GUI. In a GUI. Yep. Yeah. I arrange little boxes with little prompts inside of them. And right. then I stretch them out. And, and look, it's the way I often think about problems but the thing i've been thinking about this week is like that's such an engineer's view of a problem set or the world and it's just like not how people problem solve not generally it's how engineers problem solve it's not how generally people workflow out things if i sit down with you and we are going to design a web page together the first version of that even if it's an application, even if I'm designing Twitter for the very first time, right. I don't start from little boxes of if then, if then statements. Right. Like, what do you do? Right. You sketch the UI and you describe it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, I'm picturing this, and then if you do this, then this happens, and here's the other And then thing. you work backwards into the workflow. Yeah. Right? You start from what does the output look like. And it's very interesting that we don't have many examples of that. All of my workflows 
seem to be falling back into Notion. Hmm. And I was trying to figure out why. And I think this is why. I think they're falling back into Notion, not because Notion has like the best AI tool. It's not doing the best contextual search or the best summarization or anything like that. It's not even that crazy good at it. Is that if you think about Notion, it's a little bit like Excel. Notion is starting from the end and working backwards, right? I'm looking at a Notion page right. and I'm trying to lay out what I want the final spreadsheet or database or page to look like. And then I have to hit edit prompt and go under the hood right. and, and try and figure out the workflows to get it there. And it's still very primitive and you can't do very complicated things inside of Notion. But at the very least, it's starting from, I think, the UI layer or the display layer and working back. So if we go back to the use case of your getting ready for your next meeting. Okay. Use case. Uh-huh. And you were saying earlier, like, Fraser, what Fraser wants when he's going into his next meeting is going to be as a meeting brief is different than what Nabil wants. Like, there's two ways of trying to attack that problem. One is, Frazier, great, what are all the if-then statements to generate the, like, briefing email for you? Right. That's a kind of, you can already imagine, like, that's kind of Byzantine and it's problematic and so on and yeah. so forth. The other way is, Frazier, why don't you just write the perfect briefing email of how you would want to be briefed? Right. And then can we work with, a, you know, can we work with an agent to figure out how that's generated yeah, can, and can, go backwards? Can you, yeah, I get it. So rather than saying, look at my calendar, find the name, go to my email, uh, take yeah. the content. Step to, 1A2, right, and right, then if, then right, go step to 2AB. Right. You're saying, <laughs> I can write what I'd like to see, the output. Right. And then basically say... Go figure out how to do this. Yeah, sounds, I think that's the way people think. It's the way the way I think it's the way that a lot of people think yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's the like TL draw make it version. Oh, nice of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of yeah, AI application. Share what TL draw is. TL draw. If you were on Twitter last summer, you probably saw it go crazy viral. It started out as like a sketch like prototyping tool where you could draw in a browser, and then they released the AI tool. Uh-huh. So you can. Do what we were talking about earlier. You can draw an application framework that looks kind of like Twitter and say, make Twitter right now, and it will try to write code underneath the hood to generate that output. Obviously, it only works for very simple applications, and it's more of a cool, awesome demo right now than a fully-fledged thing. But it's very evocative of something that feels exactly like this, which is just like, make this. So you go into like a canvas and draw some squares, some circles, and you add some buttons. Yeah, in order to make Twitter in this environment, instead of starting from code and starting to write out everything in Python or whatever you're doing, you're opening up a canvas and you're just almost like you're in Figma or Adobe Illustrator. You're drawing the input submit box and you're drawing uh, the header and you're drawing a scroll bar on the right-hand side. And then you're pointing at all those things on a layer on top of that and saying, this is the submit box. You type into this box and then hit make it and it will try and infer what you're trying to make out of this product and produce the code. Huh. And uh, can you muck around with the code after the fact? Do you get do you get to see the code and edit the code? Yeah, you get to see what's produced. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah, I can get behind that. You know, I, the other way to, to think about this is you tightened it up by saying that the product experience for most of the no-code, low-code efforts that we're seeing is still not accessible enough, right? It still requires some level of programmatic... But then you observe something that I thought was really interesting is that 
it doesn't give enough flexibility and power to people who are actual capable software engineers, right? And yeah, so it's, it's in the muddy middle. It's, it's kind it's, of in the muddy middle. Yeah, it's like not enough detail and control for somebody who's really a coder, uh-huh. and it's not high enough levels of abstraction for somebody who's, who's not a right. coder. Yeah. A good analogy of this is where website development evolved over time. For a long time, website development was trying to find a way to lay out products that both engineers and non-engineers could use. Mm -hmm. But if you look at where web development is over the last four or five years, what ended up happening, even in no code, was you had a little bit of separation. You have Webflow, Mm. which is a GUI interface, but is a very technical interface that is really built mostly for people who work in design agencies who have coding backgrounds right. that have been trained on it to use. It is right. not for Jimmy up the street no. to go build a website. No, they- yes, or Squarespace, right? right. So it's like it, bifur- it barbelled, even in a kind of like no-code GUI framework, right. it barbelled to a completely templatized, very little control approach, which is a Squarespace version, right. and then Webflow, which really is, if I had looked at that five years ago, I would have assumed that was just that's not going to be the product that it takes it's too technical. Right. I would imagine that it might evolve here, which is what is the AI application framework or what is the AI workflow tool for somebody who is a completely non-technical person, which probably feels closer to Squarespace, or I would argue closer to Excel or Notion, where you're actually dealing with it at the display layer first right. and going backwards. And then an d- entirely different likely winner and product is aimed at the engineer who still wants to use tools that will make them faster and is yeah, happy yeah. to use GUI but can get under the hood really quick. Yep. I can dig that. I, I have one last thing I want to bring up today because it just came up. Okay. And I don't know what we're going to say about this except like I just saw this tweet and it like hit me right in the feels. <laughs> Brand new minted VC, a day old, two days old. Nikan Shkathari, who just joined the ranks of the dark side, said, like, I, I'm just going to read this tweet for a minute. And okay. I don't know what we're going to say about this, except it just, like, really got to me. Like, he says, I'm overwhelmed with all the support. Thank you. But you know what the saddest part about announcing that you are now a full-time investor is? He says, it's story time. For as long as I can remember, I spent my nights and weekends trying out new products, testing out user flows, testing out the user flows, taking screen recordings, and sharing feedback with the founders that I love. And he goes on to basically say that his hit rate with those founders was like 90% before. Like you, sure. write, a, you write a thoughtful thing, yeah. you send a loom, and they like, respond. And then you get into a nice in- interaction. Sometimes that led to an angel investment, or a job, or just a relationship. And he said, basically in the last 24 hours, a lot of those emails have turned from founders have turned into, hey, let's chat later, but we're not looking for investments right now. I'll see you next month. We're heads down. That kind of stuff. And I, I don't know, like, it's just, I really felt that I used to mentor and talk to a lot of my peers. They would mentor and talk to me. <laughs> and the moment I became a VC, like, it was crazy. But I had this magical power, and all of my friends' companies went from struggling to, like, up and to the right. Like, suddenly, all of their problems disappeared, and they were doing really what, great. What a crazy month that was. Yeah. Everybody's killing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, listen, I feel for that guy, right? Like, you're a curious tinker who loves this stuff. And look, that's not, most, not, that's not most investors, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right? Well, I'm empathizing with him. Yeah. 
because you just want to you want to show that you like what they're doing and it's as pure as that and then all of a sudden you're put in the bucket and you can't break through i don't know i've been a founder my inbox exploded on any moment right mm-hmm. where it started with real estate agents but then it became real estate agents and, and lawyers recruiters and <laughs> lawyers and now we are in that bucket as well like yeah sure and there are teams swarms of teams uh, who are just tasked with outbound, especially at the, the large crossover of phone. Of course, yeah, right. Like, and now they're generating ChatGPT emails that ping, ping everybody on a regular basis. That's right. It's overwhelming. That's right. Like they're, that, they're they're outbound sales, really, right? And yeah. how do you? I, I think the challenge right now is there's an awful lot of great advice for founders, and you need to, like everything, interrogate from first principles when you're going to always follow the median advice and when you're not. And this guy probably should have people engaging with him some of the time, but he's put simply into the binary bucket of, uh, I'm not raising, therefore I'm not going to speak to this person because that's not what I do right now. Because he is one of dozens of emails coming into this person's inbox. Yeah. Most advice is right most of the time. And then you have to have some level of understanding of when that advice not, might not be right. And, and maybe, look, maybe the founder he reached out to just didn't connect with him and want to yeah. talk to him, and that's fine. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a big difference between, hey, I saw your announcement. You know, I'm doing a survey of the space. Let's chat. Right. And uh, three paragraphs. Like, I, I had this happen two weeks ago. I sent three paragraphs of th- thoughts on a product I had been using a lot that I just was really interested in and curious about. And we went back and forth a couple times on email with the founder. He did not immediately blow me off. We just engaged in the product. Yeah. And it was like, hey, do you want to get together? And then he had a, maybe we should do that in three or four months. Not sure I'm raising. You should know that I'm not trying to raise right now, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm not trying to preempt around. I'm just literally trying to have a conversation about product and not be transaction oriented. And yeah. if it turns into a situation where we invest over time, like fine. If it doesn't, fine. It's like not trying to do the end result thing first. Uh-huh. The disservice I think founders do with treating fundraising as purely transactional uh-huh. Uh-huh. is that's the best version that they're going to get yeah. of the relationship. That's right. Yeah. That, that the... It doesn't mean they have to be spend time with everybody, and if, if they, they don't have a connection with me or you or whatever, then don't. That's but right. it, I don't know. I think of fundraising as biz dev and recruiting, not sales. Like It's not that you have a window for a week, and you're going to go out and see what the market price is for the thing. That's right. You're trying to f- recruit somebody to your board for the next two to 20 years. You want to know them well before you go through yeah, the term sheet dance. You know? These things are super messy. They're never up and to the right. Even when they are up and to the right, yeah. there's catastrophes happening all over the place. Oh, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> you want somebody that you trust, that you respect, that you have good rapport with. But I get it. Like The, the flip side is like yeah, easy for us to say when we're trying to get attention from the founder. The reverse side that we both felt is the... They, yeah, there's like just too many of you. I'm sorry. Oh, I can't. I got to actually build a product it, here. I need to actually build. I need to talk to customers. And then it's annoying because you get onto a call and it turns out that you're just, uh, you're educating somebody to become a logo in a market map so that they can then do their content mm-hmm. marketing the next week. I get all of that. I have empathy for all of that. I was as quick as anybody just to like ignore a lot of it. But I think the blanket advice of don't engage at all 
is not optimal and that like anything that you need to be a little bit judicious in who you're going to engage with and why and with intent but then do it and then you should do it and you should build rapport with the small subset of people that you think could be that great partner for the like 10 years that it's going to be yeah the other reason that i think you do that is because you know it's very hard to get a read on a vc in the first meeting. And, and we give, I give this advice to founders all the time. We're, we're usually early stage investors, which means we spend more time with a founder helping them raise their subsequent rounds yeah. than it, there were rounds before we've invested. So I've just, you know, spent a lot of time with a founder trying to walk them into, okay, yeah. so now how we think about the Series B and the Series C and who should you talk to? And the one thing that you gotta be really careful about as a founder is like, everybody gives a first meeting that is great. If you're a VC and you can't give good first meeting, like, what are you doing? Like, they do first meetings all week long. And the question is, can you give good second meeting? Can you have real kismet about this product and this company that lasts once you're outside of the scripted first 30-minute Zoom call where they're like, oh, that guy is impressive. Oh, he had a good hot take about my company. Can you really get depth? Because that's honestly what the relationship's going to be like, you know, going forward. Yeah. I think I'm like a B minus on first meeting. <laughs> You're still new at this, man. Just wait. But that's okay. From my new perspective, I don't want to be with a founder that is running a, a shotgun auction yeah. and is like, you have 24 hours and two meetings to make up your mind because I'm going to do a very small handful of these every single year and then be absolutely committed for a decade. However long the, the course takes to run. Yep. And I, I want to have the, the rapport and the respect and the trust that comes from a good second meeting, a better third meeting, and a great fourth meeting. Yeah, although to flip hats, again, it's easy for us to say, and a founder is like, yeah, that's because you just want to be slow. No. And, and you want to take your time and wait and see if any other term sheets show up. No. Or all the other muckety-muck that investors do all the time. Right. I've never once thought of that. I know, uh, but... I I, I But this is why this is why the market's developed the way it's developed over time. Right? I, it's like course. there's enough ambulance chasing, uh, I wanna figure out whether XYZ firm is in the deal first, who's leading bull yep. uh that it's hard, you know, I hate to do an analogy to relationships, but it's relationships. If you're going speed dating Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and uh -huh. it's year two of speed dating. It's really hard to show up on a Tuesday and be like, is this person here for a one night stand or is it maybe the person that I'm gonna be with right. for a long time? I don't think I've told you this. One of my, one of my rules that I have uh, uh, actually stuck to hmm. is I have never once asked, who else are you speaking to or who else is uh, circling around? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make up my decision from doing my work, and, yeah. and the facts will speak for themselves. And, and as you said, who cares? Well, also, I mean, once you've done this for any length of time, and you know any sets of other investors at any firm, even, frankly, partners that I respect, it, it, like, it's just not a liquid market. Yeah. There's not a set price. It's yeah. somebody fell in love with a thing at some random firm. That's why they're leading it. And then I just had too many times where I've unpacked the logic. You know, you go get a whiskey with the partner later and you're like, oh, why'd you lead that deal? And sometimes the reasoning doesn't hold up. Right. Like everybody has a, a week where they make a mistake. Right. Even the smartest person right. has a decision that they made that just is a right. bad mistake. And so I'm not trying to invest after somebody else's bad mistake, even if I think they're smarter than me. You know, they could have made a dumb reason. I'll, I'll tell you. I um, so yes, uh, <laughs> I love all of that. But then it made, uh, this has all made me think of uh, some of the most capable, accomplished founders 
that I've had the pleasure of meeting over the past handful of months do a very opposite take. Yes. Right? So I was in a call two weeks ago, and I won't name a name, uh, uber successful. Yep. And he goes, you know, we're not raising now, but here are the three things we really need solved in the next six months. And we really hope that that the right partner is going to emerge. <laughs> Put you to work. And 100%. <laughs> very smart. And I, and I walked away from it, and I thought, you know what? Am I very interested in this person, this opportunity? Right. And if so, uh, he has now shown the on-ramp to have... To the, a relationship. To a relationship. Total self-serving, right? Yeah. So he has taken the opportunity to, to open the on-ramp to say, you know, yeah, sure. Yep. But I'm not going to teach you about your market map. I'm not going to do all this other mumbo-jumbo. He put the onus on me. Can you help me solve these three problems is, is very good. The other one I've really noticed from veteran founders that doesn't come from early founders, but second and third time founders a lot is, one, if they realize it's a relationship and they start relationship building over time, mm. they treat each of the meetings as a way to basically try and problem solve for something they're working through in the time, oh, like that yeah. week. I feel like it's pretty clear that all they're really doing is working through something that they're trying to talk through themselves that yeah. they're about to go talk to their team tomorrow about yeah. and they're happy to see if I have insight into whatever but mostly they just need to talk it through out loud and so it's kind of not as much of a waste of a time because it's just a practical problem yeah. that they're having yeah, here's a smart person who has seen a lot of the market can they help me sharpen my thinking on this yeah like I think I used to get quarterly coffees with Jason Citron at Discord for the year leading up to when we invested and every time we got together it was not, here's a new pitch, here's a new pitch. It was clearly like the things he was writing his team about that morning yeah. that he was trying to problem solve. And yeah. he would just treat it as like, okay, here's another human in the world that I can just sit down and try and problem solve with for an hour. And I will at least come through with some level of evolved thinking. Oh, I, uh, well, listen, uh, my <laughs> guess is that he's also debugging you. Oh, of course. Right? Yes. Because he, like he, he's going to text you if... if you have the luxury of investing in his company. <laughs> yep. He is going to want to have the person who is actually uh, good at working through those things with him. Well, I mean, the benefit of that is that is a proxy for what the relationship is. That's right. A board member anyway. That's later right. On. That's yes. right. Like, are you willing to like tinker with a hard problem that is not going to be relevant in three weeks? Yeah. Because he just needs that that the somebody. To bounce it so around. So why don't today? more founders do? Given that's not a waste of time, why don't more founders do that when they're younger in their career? I think there's two things at, at play. I think that there is so much inbound now from investors because of yeah, the yeah. industrialization. Yeah, you can't get brunch with all of them. You can't, you, <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah, you can't. And, yeah. and so, nor right, would you want to spend that many time, much time with a VC? No, like, like that, that's actually the, the biggest failure state, right? Yeah. Um, and so, the standard advice is is not to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the, they don't discern and with intention break that rule where and when it makes sense. That was because your, that you, was your point. you also shouldn't have that conversation that Jason had with you with everybody. No, you can't. Yeah, you can't right? be at brunch every morning with a different to, VC. You're not going to go to the junior associate at the crossover firm who has no ability to do that yeah. and build that rapport with them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so you have to be intentional and, and have thoughtfulness as to who you're going to engage with that. Otherwise, it will be a time suck. Yeah. That's fair. All right, should we wrap up? Let's be done. 
Okay, thank you. Thanks everybody. If you have any thoughts on stuff we should be trying or thinking about or stuff you want to talk through, drop us a line. Try out Shortwave. It is a beautiful way to see how AI is going to come into our email client. Yeah, yeah. Right. Take care.